0: You can be seated. Hey, good morning. All right, I hope that today that you can rejoice in the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. We want to introduce to you Lindley McFadden. Lindley, are you here this morning? Put your hand up high if you're here. Uh, I don't see it. Right over here. All right, let's welcome Lindley. There she is back there. Lindley's placed membership with us here so glad to have you. Thank you. And you can uh, see a little bit more about her in today's bulletin. And please take the time to meet her and get to know her personally. Today we start a new series for just this one month. It's the time of year that everything is going back to, maybe we should call it normal. People come back from vacations. We're heading back to school pretty soon. And the church also enjoys a coming back to some of its yearly rhythms in August of every year. One of which Dennis mentioned earlier today is that small groups launch again in just two weeks. And currently this church has 40 small groups and uh, that's a blessing to a congregation this size because the small group leaders and participants help our shepherds do their job. Our shepherds are here to lead us in following Christ and in being a Christ-like community, in staying true to the story of what it means to be a Christian community. And that takes a lot of work in a church that's the size of Bentonville. In fact, this year, uh, this church's attendance has been blessed. We've grown by 10% year over year from last year which means you all are listening to the Spirit of God and sharing your faith with other people who are coming to enjoy the community of God's people as well. Now, can we say a praise the Lord for that? Praise the Lord. But we have a goal this year, not only to keep our 40 small groups going, but to raise those by something close to the percentage that the church is growing. So this year, we want to add five new groups to the 40 that we have, That would be about a 12.5% increase, so just a little bit more, trying to keep up with the growth in the congregation. And so we're going to preach today out of a section of Acts that talks about the community that the early church enjoyed and what it was like in their very original, somewhat small group that quickly ballooned to a rather large group. And in the three weeks after this, we're going to follow through the rest of the book of Acts, Looking at the people that came into the church, some of them were surprising converts, and they came into the church during a time when the church was greatly persecuted. There's an ancient saying that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What that simply means is that when the church has been under the greatest distress in history, persecuted, jailed, people put to death, the church has grown and flourished by the Spirit's power in great ways. Then a couple weeks from now, we'll look at when world missions began, when Paul and Barnabas set out to plant churches all across the Greco-Roman world. and We're going to discover that as the Holy Spirit led them, what was more important in the story was faithfulness to the Spirit's leading. Even over controlling the environments that they were establishing, there was, there was so much urgency in the message. That following the Spirit into places of uh, surprising unrest was more important than control. And then in the last week of this month, we're going to see the story of a particular man, Paul. And how Paul was conformed in his own life to the shape of Jesus Christ. You see, the story of the church from the very beginning When Jesus said words that we're going to read from the book of Acts just a few seconds from now, the story of the church is that the Holy Spirit has used spirit-formed communities to change people like you and me so that whether persecuted or free, we're sharing the good news of Jesus with people that maybe would have surprised us that Jesus loves, that they want to love Jesus. And that this love for people coming into God's kingdom takes us all throughout the world and shapes you as individuals and me as an individual to the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's begin today with this great story in Acts chapter 1. And if you're following along today in your Bibles... Uh, You won't be able to read all the verses that we talk about because we're moving kind of quickly through the story. But you can take note and go back and read chapters 1 through 7 on your own later if you would like to. When Jesus rose from the dead, he came back and appeared to his followers over a period of 40 days. That's a little bit over a month. And many people saw him in his resurrected body. But there came a moment when it was time for him to go back to heaven to be with the Father, and the disciples were gathered with Jesus this day at what seems like it was a picnic lunch out on the Mount of Olives. Now picture the Mount of Olives with me for a minute. It would have been a small mountain, not a massive rocky mountain, rounded and fertile on top with lots of olive trees. If you don't know how to picture an olive tree, they're kind of squat and scrubby, but they have very wide trunks. Because they've got a big canopy, they're spread out every 20, 40 feet or so so that there's big gaps between them. It's not like a tight forest. But the trunks are wide in such a way that a group of 10 or 12 people seated on the ground might be partially or fully hidden as they sit there and have a conversation behind an olive tree that's only a few hundred feet distant. And so here are Jesus and his apostles sitting in this lush mountaintop garden having a meal. When the question comes up, what happens next? What is our story going to be? And Jesus says to the followers, I need you to go back and wait in Jerusalem until the gift comes that was promised. That's the Holy Spirit that was promised to you. Well, this stirs up a question among the followers because they want to know if Jesus is going to restore Israel to its former kingdom glory, like in the days of David. They ask Jesus this question. In other words, they're asking a question of identity. What is our story going to be, and when will it begin? Jesus' answer to them is simple. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Not my soldiers, we're not overthrowing the kingdom, we're not establishing David's kingdom. We're establishing a new kind of community, and you will be my Witnesses, first in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus is taken up in a cloud, he's hidden from their sight, and they meet this angel that says he'll come back someday in the same way that he's disappeared. So, what to do? They go into Jerusalem and they wait like Jesus instructed. The scriptures say at that time there was about 120 of them. That's like maybe just these two sections right here. That's all the Christ followers in the world, and they're in Jerusalem. And they take time over the next few days to take account of their leadership, How are we going to lead when the Holy Spirit comes? And they kind of notice there's only 11 apostles because Judas has killed himself after he betrayed the Lord. So they use their time wisely and they appoint another apostle, a man named Matthias. And guess who leads the choosing of Matthias? It's not the opinion of men. It's not their perspective on how good looking he is or how wise or how funny. They've actually got two candidates and they can't tell them apart. So they allow the Holy Spirit through prayer to decide who will be the next leader. You see, they're a spirit-filled and spirit-shaped community of God. A few days later, on the day that's called the Feast of Pentecost, these believers are in an upper room praying together when all of a the sudden they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. They also heard a a blowing sound, like a great wind coming through the room where they were seated. Now, it seems funny to say the phrase tongue of fire, doesn't it? Here's a tongue of fire. It's just a little, little bit of fire. You can almost see it looks like a tongue, right? It's sticking its tongue out at you. There's a little tongue of fire. We all know what fire looks like. We all know how mesmerizing fire can be you've probably sat around a campfire and stared into it for hours. But they see these little tongues of fire that come down and they rest, don't worry, I won't do this too closely, over the heads of each of them. If I, if I did that wrongly, you would know quickly. and say, man, that preacher was on fire today. <laughs> but these tongues of fire separate and they come to rest over each of them. And in a moment, you know that something special from heaven is happening. But if you could zoom out and see the wider story of Scripture, then you would remember that fire has often been an indicator of the presence of God. What did the people see on Mount Sinai when God's presence descended on it? A fire. What did they see over the tabernacle when God's presence was leading them from sight to sight through the desert? A pillar of fire. These marks of the presence of fire have been an indication that God is here and dwelling in this place. Now the fire is over the people, and it's a sign that God is now dwelling in these people. You see, this means that the sight of God's temple presence has moved. God just moved out of the temple and into his people when that tongue of fire descends upon them. They also get a gift of the Spirit in that moment. At least a few of them do. They begin to speak in tongues. So there's a play here in the book. But this time tongues means foreign languages. And so as they are speaking and teaching about Jesus and what he has done, their words are being heard miraculously in all kinds of worldwide languages. It just so happens that God picked for this to happen on a day when people from all over the world who spoke those languages were gathered in Jerusalem. Pentecost was a festival where Jews from all over the Roman world came together. They came into the city of Jerusalem, There was tens of thousands of people gathered there, and they spoke all of their native languages. But they hear the Spirit-filled people of God speaking in their own languages, and some of them marvel about it. What is happening in this community? Others make fun of them and say they must just be drunk on wine. Well, Peter has to stand up as one of the leaders of the apostles and address that accusation that God's people are drinking at nine in the morning so much that they've miraculously stepped into speaking a foreign language. So he gets up in front of the people in town and he says, it's not like what you think at all. We're not drunk, but this is what the prophet Joel said would happen. And he quotes from the Old Testament and he proclaims to them that God had said, even in the Jewish law, that he was going to pour out his Spirit on sons and on daughters, on male and female servants, and that all of the people of God would be marked by a Holy Spirit presence. The people realize that what this means is that they are guilty of killing the Son of God. It says the people are cut to the heart. That doesn't just mean that they repented because you know, they were caught, it means that they deeply felt the Holy Spirit's conviction that they needed salvation. And Peter says to them when they ask, how can we get salvation? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit too. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now God doesn't always mark the Holy Spirit's presence with a literal tongue of fire, but we believe the Holy Spirit lives in every immersed Christian from the time of their being clothed in Jesus Christ, which means that you now are in the story of these people that were being shaped by the Holy Spirit, God's presence lives in you. You have become the location where He lives. The people in the community were so touched and moved to learn about their faith that they lived together in this way. It says they they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They even sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And a little note in the text tells us that at this time, there's 3,000 people that joined this spirit-filled community because of the sermon that Peter preached. From 120 to 3,000, now that is a year-to-year increase, right? And so what are they going to do with all these people people that live all over the world, people who speak different languages and need an opportunity to be taught about Jesus fully so they can take the message home with them, so that they know how to worship and live in community when they go back to their different countries. And the answer is this model of community. They eat together. They pray together. They study the apostles' teaching just like we do today, When we read the New Testament books that were written by the apostles, they have gladness in their hearts. They're even willing to sell things that they own to take care of the needs of everybody else in this community. They are learning what it looks like to be shaped by the Spirit. And you have an opportunity to live in the same way, You see, you have the opportunity if you're in a community like one of our Bible classes or one of our small groups that you, with the presence of God in you, see and discern the needs of others and do the work of Jesus along with his Holy Spirit in you for and and with the shepherds of this congregation building up these communities. You see, this is your calling. This is your story. The story of the church originally was a little bit less about what happened on the one hour they came together on Sundays and a little bit more about all the hours they spent together day in and day out throughout the week building up this gospel movement. Now it's said that the people continued to meet in the temple courts every day. And one day, Peter and John were doing exactly that. They went up to the courts to pray, and they meet this lame man. He hadn't been able to walk since the time he was born, and he was over 40 years old, so people had known for a long time that he was the beggar at the gate at the temple. And when they come to him, he's begging, and he meets the eyes of Peter and John. And they say, we don't have silver and gold to give you, but we've got something for you. And through the Holy Spirit's power, they heal the man. He leaps up in joy and begins to run around like you would if you were on legs for the first time and jumping and shouting and letting everybody know exactly what had happened to him. Well, this gets the attention of people like it would, and they come around asking, what does this mean? So Peter and John have an opportunity to preach to them even more about Jesus and his new community. Well, that gets the attention of another group of people. You see, whenever a crowd gathers in public, authorities take notice. And so the Jewish authorities, called the Sanhedrin, notice that there's this large crowd forming in their temple grounds, and they go out to see what's going on. When they hear the preaching about Jesus being the Son of God, And raised from the dead, and that the Holy Spirit has now moved out of the temple and into these people of the community, this is wrecking their story. And so they say, You can't preach in this name, you can't teach in this name. But Peter, once again, look at the words filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This kind of teaching doesn't go well with the authorities. They arrest Peter and John, and they're trying to decide what to do with them, imprison them, beat them, execute them. But the people are so in love with Peter and John and this new movement of Jesus that they're afraid for their own popularity to punish these guys. So they release them and send them home. Now, Peter and John don't respond to this arrest and near punishment the way that I would, or maybe you would. Because when they get home, they gather other believers around them, and they're like, guys, it's time for us to pray. Persecution has begun. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. You take heart, I've overcome the world. But here comes the trouble. And they gather around to pray, and instead of saying, God, you know, stop the authorities. God, keep us from being arrested. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak with great boldness. God, help us to go out and make even more communities like this one with courage. And then at the end of chapter 4, we see again that the community isn't held back by these arrests. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus with boldness. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses even sold those and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. One man is noted as having sold his property. His name is Barnabas. He later becomes one of the world missionaries that launches that movement with Paul. But two other people sell their property. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. And this is the first time in the early church community that you get the hint of some kind of inside turmoil. They come and they give their money, but they lie. They're deceptive about how much they got, and they didn't have to do that. And Peter says to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Do you see who he says he lied to? You lied to a person, Peter or John, an apostle. But they remind him. The Holy Spirit's now alive inside each Christian from their salvation. You're lying to the Holy Spirit when you lie to a brother or a sister. And then his wife comes in a little while later. How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Not the apostles, but the Spirit. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, they'll carry you out also. And both of these people had dropped down dead when they heard that they had lied to the Holy Spirit and their bodies were carried out. It says that some fear took over the church at that time because people started to realize how important, how eternally significant Is the community of God. This isn't an insignificant thing that you're part of today. The Holy Spirit's in you. You're part of God's story. You're continuing the work of Jesus Christ with boldness, with courage. You're meeting with each other in your homes, eating, praying, studying the teaching of the apostles, and being shaped and conformed to the image of Christ. Deceit has no place in a community like that. Later, because of their preaching, the apostles are all arrested. The the Sanhedrin, again, rears its ugly head, and they throw all of these guys in jail. How do the apostles react? The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, And so is, everybody say it out loud with me, the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And so this time when they're released from jail, the apostles leave the Sanhedrin rejoicing even though they were beat because they had been found worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple... In the courts of the temple and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They only grow in conviction. Their story narrative is only shaped further by this trouble and persecution. One other problem arises. The Jewish and the Greek widows aren't getting food distributed equally to each home's And the story comes up. Some of the Greek widows are complaining and saying we're not getting fed equally. This church, this community is supposed to be a place where everyone gets treated equally. We've all got the Holy Spirit in us, right? And so the apostles say we've got a solution for that. We're gonna choose some men who are capable and godly and filled with the Holy Spirit, seven of them. And we're gonna give them the ministry of food so that we can continue to focus on prayer and on teaching. So, brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. And even though they're not called deacons in this verse, it says that they are serving, and the Greek verb used is this deacon word. And so, basically, these are the church's first seven appointed servants, these are the church's first seven uh, small group leaders, if you will. They're going to make sure on a smaller level that the Greek and the Jewish widows are both being taken care of. They're pastoring to these people. They're participating in the ministry given them by their leaders. Just like our small group leaders do. When our shepherds say, we want you to take 10 or 15 people, minister together, pray together, build up this community of God. When he's arrested for all of the good work that he had done and all of the miracles that he had performed, Stephen is put on trial and he's going to be executed. He's going to become the first Christian martyr and his trial is a farce. They had people paid to lie about him. And I want to ask you, where did he find the courage? Where was his story shaped so that he knew to respond in this way in the last moments of his life and with his last breath. He says, when the, memories, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard him, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. That was a good old-fashioned Jewish way of showing you're angry. Right? They gnashed their teeth at him, but Stephen, again, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Go ahead. At this they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed this prayer. This is what he had learned in community group. This is what he had learned through the Holy Spirit's leading. This is what he had learned by being formed and shaped to the image of Jesus Christ as he worshiped, as he broke bread, as he studied the apostles' teaching day after day with fellow believers. Lord, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep, which means he died. This is when the persecution breaks out in force against the believers in Jerusalem. But now they're ready. Now they're ready to face persecution because they are being shaped through the Holy Spirit's leading to Jesus and to Jesus' story. Can we say that the same is true about us? Is it true about you and me today? If the persecution broke out here today, Would you be ready to say these grace-filled words? I don't know that I'm up to that task at every moment, but I pray that in the moment when it comes, I'll be ready. And those of you who meet together and pray and eat and do these community things are forming each other to that mission. Let us do it with boldness. If we can help you today or pray over you, if our shepherds can receive you or baptize you this morning, Please share that with us. We want to welcome you into this spirit-filled community. Let's stand together and sing this closing song.